Good morning, everybody. Um, my name is Preston Pitts. I'm an elder here at Common Ground and so excited to be with you this morning, especially as we're continuing our series, Knowing the Heart of God Through the Psalms and the Proverbs. And today we're going to start in Psalm 16. Now, I know it's summer. I know a lot of you are out of school, but I hate to do this to you, but we're going to start out with a quiz. <laughs> Sorry. Now, the quiz is, look at these movies that are up here and tell me what they have in common. My kids can't watch them. <laughs> I tried to be pretty good. They what? They all won awards, but that's not it. No. In the essence of time, I will tell you, I'm surprised. They all begin with the ending. So they all start with the ending, and then the movie was chosen that way so that it reveals the story to you and you appreciate the story that's developing much better because you know the ending. Now, today, we're going to do that. We're going to start with the ending with the hope that that'll give us a much better perspective on what David is telling us. And David's the one that wrote this psalm. And, and therefore, we'll have a better appreciation for what he's telling us about how to live life in the presence of God. And so with that, I'm going to take you on. So up there, we're going to put. So the endings, here's the last two verses. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol. In the NIV, it says in the grave. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So the focus of these last two verses, in particular in verse 10, is death and resurrection. And David, in writing in the first part of it, says, Lord, I know you, you, you and you're going to not leave me in the grave. But then he prophesies, and he says, the Messiah also is going to die, but the Messiah will be resurrected even before his body sees any corruption. So it's a prophecy about the full resurrection of Jesus, uh, uh, which is the, who is the Messiah, and in particular, the, the, the fact that he will be resurrected with his full glorified body, reminding us and promising us we also will be glorified, come up with a glorified body when we're resurrected when he returns. So keep that thought. And then the verse 11 is basically saying God wants to us to, once we're resurrected, we live with him in eternity forever. And we're going to talk more about that. But staying on verse 10, since it's this prophecy, we're going to fast forward 1,000 years from when David wrote this. And I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 14. Verses 32 through 36. 
And where, where we find ourselves is we're in a garden. We're in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we are with Jesus, and Jesus is praying. It is the night before he goes to the cross. And let's listen to his prayer, and especially the intensity of his prayer. Verse 32, Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. Verse 33, And he took Peter and James and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Focus on troubled and deeply distressed. He's going to the cross. The reality of that is setting in. Verse 34, Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. So he is, as he's looking to the cross, he is, he is beginning to appreciate what he is going to go through. So, so much pressure and anxiety almost to death. But let's read 35. He went a little further and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. In verse 36, he said, Abba, Father, so Jesus is now appealing to God, the Father, on the most intimate level. And what does he say? All things are possible for you, but take this cup away from me. Cup in scripture means destiny or your calling. Jesus is looking at his destiny, what he's called to do. And as he looks at that, the overwhelming sense of what he is going to be put on him, the wrath of God is overwhelming. And he even says, Father, is there any other way? Is there any other way that we can do this? And you can almost hear God the Father saying to him, do you love them enough to do this? Do you love them so much that you will suffer this much for them? And thank goodness the answer was, Jesus said, not my will, but your will. Jesus submitted his will to the Father because he loved us that much. And then, and the Father permitted it because he knew it was the only way and he loved us that much. Now, I want to sidetrack for two seconds here. I don't want to lose that intimacy of what we just did. But I do feel compelled to say, lately I have had encounters with people trying to talk to them about Jesus, and several of them in the last few months have all told me the same thing. There are many ways to God, not just Jesus. And when you read this, do you believe there's any other way to God? If there was, the God, the Father, and Jesus would have found it. Jesus is the only way to the Father and to eternal life. Otherwise, they would have found a way. But, so keep that in mind uh, as a placeholder. This relates to chapter, chap, I mean, um, Psalm 16, verse 10, and we're talking about the death. But there's two sides to uh, verse 10. The second one is resurrection. 
So let's go to the resurrection and talk about that for a moment. Turn with me to Luke chapter 24. We're in verse 36 through 46. I'm going to paraphrase through 36 through 43, and then I'll read 44 through 46 to show you the intimacy of what Jesus is telling the disciples. Because where are we? We're in a room. We're with the disciples. The disciples are gathered together. Jesus appears to the disciples, and their first reaction is, oh, my, what is happening here? They're distressed. They're terrified. They're frightened. And then Jesus says, why? What, what, why are you troubled? I am him. And he shows him his resurrected body, and they begin to understand it's him. But to help them with that, we go to verse 44, and Jesus says, he, and just, this is Jesus speaking. These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And that's one of, the, one of those Psalms is the one we're in today, prophesying about his death and resurrection, even before his body sees corruption. And so Jesus, in verse 45, he opens their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. That is our prayer today, that God will open our hearts and our minds to understanding the scriptures and what we're being taught today. And in verse 46, then he said to them, and that's up on the board just to make sure everybody sees this, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Jesus reconfirming there's no other way. He was called to suffer and he was called to rise in the third day, and with, which means that he rose before his body saw corruption. So Jesus is making testimony to the fulfillment of scripture that he is the Messiah and he's the risen one. And he's also giving us confidence that through him we will have eternal life. So, let's turn back to Psalm 16. Now, you might ask yourself, why did I start with the ending? And I started with the ending because as I went through this psalm, I realized for you, for all of us, to comprehend it, to appreciate it, we must believe two things. God loves us dearly. You must truly believe that God loves you. And you must truly trust Jesus. You must trust God, the Father, and Jesus. So you must know they love you and trust you. And I ask the question, how can we not know how much he loved us based on what we just read about what he went through in the garden? about the fact that we know he went to the cross and was stayed there and suffered until he could say it was finished. And God the Father permitted that. And then he was resurrected. So how can we not trust him and know he loves us? So that's the question for you to come to grips with. It's a really important question. And, but I have a verse, it's in Romans 8.32, that I think ties this together really well. He who did not spare his own son, 
but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So this is a testimony to the fact that if God loved us this much, didn't spare his son, and if God loved us so much that we know now Jesus is at the right hand of God with all authority, that they together want to give us things for life. One of those is definitely free the salvation, that we freely get salvation for us that believe in Christ. But the other one, the other aspect that of all things, is he wants to give us the things for life today. And one of the things that God's heart is about and, and is that he wants to give us the abundant life. That truly, uh, from his heart, he wants us to experience the abundant life. And we get that because through Jesus, we're able to go into the presence of God and live in the presence of God. And one of the beauties of this psalm is that it helps us appreciate and understand how to receive the abundant life, how to participate in the abundant life. And essentially what it's saying, what this psalm is saying, the central theme of it is that we, to the source of abundant life for us is living in the presence of God, living in that abiding relationship, and then surrendering our will to his will, to understanding his will. So if you want to know how to participate in the abundant life, staying in the presence of God and submitting our will to his. Now we're going to see David in these verses play that out for us. And uh, he, he has little nuggets for us showing us the beauty of living in God's presence, the abiding relationship, and what life begins to look like for us. So let's start with verse 6. Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. So David starts this psalm out with a prayer. The prayer is, preserve me, which means guard me, protect me, stay with me. And he says, as a testimony to that, an affirmation of faith, and I trust in you to do that. I put my trust in you. So the ver first verse it kind of gets us solid in our life is to pray to God, to, to, have, to trust him with our life, to trust our life with to his divine care for us. And, and David's saying, and I trust you to do that and to help me with that. And a couple of clarifications on the word preserve and watch over me and guide me. It doesn't just mean physically. Although David was in constant danger and he did pray for that, it does include guarding, guiding his heart and his mind. And that's for us also. Part of our prayer life should be for God, protect our mind, protect our heart, especially from the outside world that tries to deceive us and confuse us and lead us astray. So David starts out with a, good, a wonderful prayer and an affirmation of faith and trust in God. Verse 2, so now he takes us deeper. O oh, my soul, you have said to the Lord, 
You are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. And here David is saying, to the depth of who I am, to the very essence of who I am, everything, emotions and heart, and I want you to know, and to clarify here, that I'm saying to you, Lord, the first Lord here is Yahweh, which is the God of promise. You are my Lord. The second one is called Adonai, which means you are my king. You are the authority in my life. You are my master. And so he's saying, I want to live my life under your authority. And I want to live my life in such a way that it's pleasing to you because you are my Lord. You live and rule over me. And that's my desire. Now, what does that look like for us? I'd say the heart of that is a prayer life and a life living in his presence where we are consistently seeking God's will. And when we seek God's will and we find his will, then we'll know how to live. And we will, he will be leading us once we know his will. And, um, and, and what's beautiful about that is the next side, the next part of that verse, my goodness is nothing apart from you. So David is saying, if I live in your will, I, I, I wholeheartedly seek your will, and I obey your will, my life will have meaning of eternal value. And I think of that, that in the New Testament where God is, is basically praising people, well done, good and faithful servant. And, and David is saying, that's what I want to be. But the only way to do that is to live in the presence of God, submit to his will, because that's where God does his work. And that's where good things happen of eternal value. And so it's a beautiful thing for us to live in submission to God and live a life where we're humbled before him. Our pride is gone. And, 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 and I'll say it this way. The opposite of that is living what? On our own strength, under our own will, and having nothing to show for eternal value. And Jesus says it this way. I'm the vine, you're the branch. Stay in me, you bear much fruit. Apart from me, you accomplish nothing. And so it's a beautiful thing that we're, we're being reminded of here. Verse 3. Now these all kind of appear as random thoughts, but I love to just think of it as weaving into a tapestry that when we're finished, it's beautiful and magnificent. So all of these nuggets are things that we should embrace in life. And, and one aspect of that is verse 3. As for the saints who are on the earth, and who are the saints on the earth? Us. Us who believe. And the reason we're saints is we're covered by the righteousness of Jesus. So in God's eyes, we are saints, and we are precious in his eyes. So it's a really good reminder for us. Never forget that. We are precious in God's eyes. But then he goes further, and he's really telling us to go beyond ourselves and to appreciate the fact that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We 
should do what? We should do what? Love one another. Delight in each other. And, and what a beautiful thing that is. Now, how do we delight in each other? I'm going to give you my thoughts around that. We should pray for each other. We should encourage each other. We should come alongside each other. We should come together and worship God together. We should open scripture together. When one of us is joyful, we should all be joyful. That's how close we should be. When one mourns, which we've been mourning this week, we should all mourn because we're together and tied together. What a beautiful blessing and reminder here of how special it is. Now, I want to make a comment. That does not mean that we ignore unbelievers. It's really just focusing on the special nature of what we're called to do and how much we're called to love each other and care for each other. In fact, Jesus says the outside world will be blessed by the way we treat each other. So what a wonderful reminder here. And I was going to do something, but I'll minimize it because of Paul. And that was, I was going to give you a, a commercial. You know, you're doing, I don't know about you, I'm on YouTube and trying to learn something. They put an ad in the middle of it and I get all upset. And I'm like, <laughs> so I'm going to put a little ad in here. And what is that? I'm also going to encourage you to go to the dinners. <laughs> the dinners are a place where you can go um, and really fellowship, break bread together with each other and take delight in each other. And uh, coincidentally, about a few months before Linda and I came, were called here to Carson, our church started doing that. We hosted one and we went to one. And it started out a little slow. I'm telling you, every time, though, after a 45 minutes or whatever, laughter, joking, oh, my golly, I didn't know you did that. I didn't understand that you came from there. And all the commonality came together. The excitement was there. The connections were there. It was also a beautiful thing to see with everyone we participated in. God would put people together that had the same issues in their life or had the same joys in their life. It's a beautiful thing. So I encourage you, get out of your comfort zone, sign up for the dinners. <laughs> now, after that interruption of a commercial, we're going to proceed. Uh, verse 4, their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another god. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. Kind of an odd one to put in the middle. But what... David is reminding us, which is what Derek taught on. This is talking about false prophets, false teachers, about people that are coming among us as, as wolves in sheep clothing, trying to deceive us, distract us, and separate us. And so I'm not going to dwell on that because we've been teaching about it, but think about it. In the book of Acts, Derek was compelled to teach on it. And David thought it was worthy because he just got through talking about unity of the saints. And now he's talking about people come among us to divide. So very important reminder there. Verse 5 and 6 we'll take together. O oh Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. So what David is acknowledging here, he's acknowledging that in he, when he lives in the presence of God, 
understands God's will, he goes through life. And as he's going through life, he receives the thing that God's, the things that God wants to give him. He receives the things that are meant for him. And he cherishes those things and is content with them. And if I got convicted this week, ironically, that's the one that convicted me. I realized I have a lot of lack of contentment sometimes. Now, baby boomers, we sometimes get that way. We're restless. We want more, and we're, and we're all after something else. And instead of taking a moment to be content with what God has given us and to celebrate that. It also says when we live that way, when we live and we receive the things that God has for us, we enjoy those, our life will be pleasant. And what it means by that, your life is going to be better, a lot better off when you follow the will of God and live in his presence. Now, it does not mean that you will not have adversity or trouble. I am not saying that. But I will tell you, God in other scriptures reveals, I'll help you get through the trouble. So what it's saying is, don't you want to live life with God and, 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 and do it in such a way that you know he's with you? And, um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that, but I'm going to repeat it a couple of times just because it's worthy. We should live life knowing that God exists and that God wants to be active in our life. It's a really important thing for us to remember, not to do life on our own. Verse 8, I mean verse 7, sorry. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. So David is saying here, oh my, thank you, Lord. You give me counsel. You guide me. You instruct me about life and getting through life. And this we're describing is one of the key roles of the Holy Spirit, to guide us and instruct us and to counsel us. Little difference on the counsel and instruct. Um, counsel is, in, is God's wisdom. We want God's wisdom. We want to be close to him so we have understanding of matters, how to make decisions, how to uh, respond to things that, we're, that we encounter. We want God's wisdom. Derek taught, taught about that in the Proverbs 3. Don't lean on your own understanding, but gain God's wisdom. And in, and in the book of James, James says, ask God for wisdom. He'll give it graciously to you if you believe. So trust God to give you wisdom and understanding about matters. Instruction, I look at a little different. And, and don't forget that we're all, as we're saved and we have the Holy Spirit in us, we're on a path. God is leading us on a path, and part of that path is sanctification, which means he wants us to become more Christ-like. Instruction includes things like him convicting us of things in our life that we need to change, um, guiding us to different understanding of matters that, uh, that he's revealing to us in scriptures, freeing us from things that are, that are holding us back. And so there's a beautiful completeness to this section where David is saying, I will bless the Lord who's given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. So he's saying, take time to meditate with God. Ask God questions. Get clarity from God. 
God speaks, and we need to hear from him. And so do have a heart that's yielded to that and have a mindset that you believe it. And a big way he speaks is through scripture. Now, on the part, I will bless the Lord. My interpretation of that and what I've confirmed in my heart and in through other commentaries, I will bless the Lord. How do I bless him? Once he reveals things to me, I'm obedient. I respond in obedience. Jesus himself said, if you love me, you will obey me. So obedience is also really important here. If you want to bless the Lord, we should take to heart everything he says. And when he's instructing us and guiding us, then respond to it in obedience. That's how, one way to bless the Lord. Verse 8. I know there's a lot here. A uh, little hyd- fire hydrant kind of mentality, but I know y'all are capable. <laughs> I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Some of these could appear redundant, but each one has a different twist to it. This one is saying live life with a mindset about God. Be mindful of him all day long. And to put him before you, to mean that you're, you're going through the day, every day, thinking of God and thinking of how he's working and what he's doing and who we are in him and who we are in Christ. And think about that. It reminds me of a verse. It's in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. And if you want a good verse for your memory verse this week, it's pray continually. Uh, short and sweet. When I first heard it, I thought it was ridiculous. I'm like, I mean, I seriously talked to God. How am I going to pray continually? I can't do that. Now I think it's one of the sweetest, nicest verses in the Bible because it does remind me of exactly what David is saying here. I've set always, I have set the Lord always before me. It means just pray all day long. I pray before I get on phone calls, before I have meetings. I pray before I'm talking to a family member about something. I pray about what I'm doing and why, when I get up in the morning, what's his heart's desire. I'm beginning, I catch myself praying all the time. Now, the one thing that I don't pray as much on is I'm in traffic, and Linda reminds me to pray more in traffic because I'm an impatient driver. But uh, So the other part to that, once you're mindful of God and you're asking God all during the day to help you, to guide you, to strengthen you, whatever it is, he says, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. So you're going to also in the day, circumstances, adversity, things will come against you. But once you're in the presence of God and you've been praying and and mindful of him, he will strengthen you. Being always, he says, at my right hand, which means God is our strength. That's what in the scripture, being at somebody's right hands means you are the strength for them. God is our strength. Call on him. Don't go through life without us calling on God for help. That's a big part, again, of what we're learning here, is living life in the presence of God is where the, abiding, where the abundant life is, and part of that abundant life are all these things we're talking about. And it's also where we get our strength and, and, our, and our guidance in life. Verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory rejoices, 
My flesh also will rest in hope. The key word here in verse 9 is therefore. David is saying, in light of all this that I've just shown you, in light of all the wonderful things God has done for us, in light of the fact that through Jesus we can have live in the presence of God, in light of the fact he wants to guide us, give us wisdom, provide for us, and all, give us security, all types of things, in light of that, what should we do? We should be glad. We should rejoice. We should be a joyful people. And our joy is not in possessions and things of this world. Our joy is in God, in the presence of God that, that, that we're living in. That's where we find our joy. How wonderful that is that we can be a people finding joy in the midst of everything going around, especially in today's world. But our joy comes from being in the presence of God, appreciating what Jesus has done for us, and in doing so, we should be filled with joy, which also is a strength for us. Um, it's set in another scripture, it says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. So once we focus on the right things, our mind is on God and the things of God and who God is and who we are in Christ, we will be strengthened. And that joy from that will strengthen us and guide us. My flesh will also rest in hope. So as he closes, he's saying, you know, I understand I'm going to have eternal life with you. So I rest in that. So live life, we're to live life today with an eternal perspective. How much easier it is to respond to the things of life when you have an eternal perspective. It helps us so much to do that. And so keep that eternal perspective. And then he goes into verses 10 and 11. In 10, he's, he's really saying, I've loved you this much. I've guided you through life. I'm not going to abandon you to the grave. And based on what the Holy One has done, you should know I will give you eternal life. In verse 11, you'll show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So we are called to eternal life. We're called to live in the presence of God forever. And in that is where we're going to find fullness of joy. It's God's heart that we live with him in eternity. It's God's heart that we live in his presence and we have eternal joy. And that is God, part of God's heart. And that is what is being professed here in scripture to us when we live this way and we put our faith and trust in Jesus. So I will appeal to any of you that haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Think about this. Will you have eternal life any other way. I think I was pretty clear on what we were saying earlier. There is no other way. So if you haven't accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior and have a guarantee of eternal life in his presence, I just encourage you to pray about that. If God's prompting you, I'll be in the back and you can come and pray with me. But that is such a serious decision. And then also you realize once you've accepted Christ, you can begin to live life in a whole different way. That's what this psalm is teaching us. We can have an abundant life 
Because through Christ, we can live in the presence of God. So as I close, a couple of things for you to think about. One is living life knowing that God exists and is active. Now, it may sound silly I'm saying no, he exists. But I can tell you my comment sometimes about myself and others is I'm living life like God doesn't exist. I can tell you many times after our services, I have a prayer burden that when we all get in those cars and we drive off, that we don't forget what we've experienced here and we don't live life like God doesn't exist. Instead, live like God exists and he desires and wants to be part of our life, helping us in life. He wants to be active in our life. Live life that way. So I have a challenge for you this week. I want you to pray that God will reveal himself to you this week through scripture, circumstances, conversations, whatever. Ask and pray for God to reveal himself to you. And in doing so, um, I ask you to also believe that he will do that. I want you to do it expectantly, that he will reveal himself to you. So look for it. Even journal it. Just write it down. Oh, my. I just experienced the God of the universe speaking to me, revealing himself to me, or doing something for me. So I just encourage you to do that. And there's one thing I forgot in the middle of everything, so I'm just going to say it. And that is, when we talk about the abundant life, and when we talk about living in the presence of God and all these benefits, I want you to know that it's not for some super-spirited person. What we're talking about to accomplish the abundant life, abiding with Christ, what does it take? It only takes a humble heart, a heart yielded to God and seeking him earnestly. That's what it takes. You don't have to be a super saint in any capacity. Just humble yourself. Ask God to reveal yourself. In the book of James, it says, seek God and he will come alongside you. And so it's a, it's a promise. So our job is to seek him with a humble heart. He will reveal himself to us. It's the process that starts us on the path to living an abiding relationship and living in the presence of God and experiencing the things that David has out for. So with that, I will close us in prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your, your, what, the sacrifice, the great sacrifice that you've done for us. Thank you, Lord, that through that sacrifice you have redeemed us fully. We have eternal life with, with you and with the Father. We also thank you, Father, that, or Jesus, that through what you've done for us, we're able to come into the presence of God. We understand how much you love us and care for us. We understand that we can trust you. And so we ask, Father, that you guide us into a life where we can focus on you and live in your presence. And we can experience you on a daily basis. And that we can live a testimony that is beautiful to the outside world. Protect this church. Protect our minds and our hearts. 
and guide us and lead us, Lord Jesus. May we know you exist, that know you love us, and that you desire the best for us in life. In Jesus, your name we pray. Amen.